again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Clement. This program is brought to you by the Maryland Horse Breeders Association. It pays to race Maryland breads in Maryland. Right now at Laurel Park, Maryland breads racing in open overnight races receive a 15% owner bonus and a 15% developer bonus for finishing first, second, or third. In addition, Maryland breads in $45,000 mating claiming races are eligible to waive the claiming price. There's no better time to breed and race in Maryland. And you can learn more about the advantages of breeding and owning Maryland breads at MarylandThoroughbred.com. Thanks as always for their support and glad to have you all with me on this latest episode of In the Ring. Really, really enjoyed um, doing this interview and I hope that you will too. A little bit something different than what I typically kind of stray towards and we'll talk um not just about flat racing, but about jump racing as well on today's program. So I hope that you enjoy that. Thanks as always for tuning in and for listening. We'll get right to it and welcome in my first guest on In the Ring. So happy to welcome in trainer Carrie Bryan. You might have seen her burst onto the scene, particularly in Saratoga last year, just winning pretty much all the grade ones, it seems like, that were offered. Um, but now she's doing a little bit of everything. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have the chance to learn a little bit more about your story and pick your brain today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, So let's go back to last year um, in Saratoga in 2021 in particular with a horse like the Mean Queen, um, who we saw become an Eclipse Award champion in the steeplechase category too. Can you talk a little bit about getting to that summer and and what all of those big wins, which has propelled you into another terrific year, has really meant to you? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it still leaves me speechless, really. I mean, it's like things you dream of as a trainer and to have it all in the first year was pretty mind blowing. I mean, to think that in some ways I've had a better season, even this year is just crazy. But I mean, the mean queen, you know, people dream of having that one horse, you know, that kind of propels your career and and she's that for me. And I was just lucky enough to have her in my very first year and hopefully have her in years to come. She'll be back in the spring. So, um, yeah, I mean, she definitely kind of was my kickstarting horse, her and Baltimore Bucko. And, you know, with the help of those those owners mr and mrs moorhead i you know that really uh got me going i'd say and i know you spent quite a while working for legendary trainer jonathan shepherd who was successful with both flat races and jumps races as well can you talk a little bit about working for him and how that kind of laid the foundation for your career when you took over and went out on your own Yeah. I mean, I worked for him for 11 years. I was assistant for probably eight or nine of those, um, you know, got to do a ton working for him. I I was actually a steeplechase jockey myself for a couple of years and just got to put a lot on the resume underneath him, learning from him. And I always thought it was fantastic how he was, I mean, he's in the hall of fame, both flat racing and jump racing, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing to do, you know, have, have such success with, both um and obviously I came onto the scene as a jumps trainer and winning all the jumps races but I always knew I wanted to really kind of do what he did and try to make myself just as prominent on the flat so I mean I think having the background working for him is a good thing on my resume I mean people are starting to realize oh she can train a flat horse and then if you look at who I worked for I mean I should be able to right (laughs) if I took anything from him so (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I learned loads and, you know, he was a great mentor to me and, um, 
you know, I, I got a lot of his owners when he retired and mm-hmm. they stay, have stayed loyal to me and it's very good. What was it like working for him? I, I've had the opportunity to interview him <laughs> at Saratoga and he's quite a character. He, yeah, he really was. I mean, listen, there were good days and bad days. And if you, you messed up a work, an important work, or you did something wrong, he'd let you know about it. But <laughs> we'll do it again anyway. <laughs> um, no, he was, he's a fabulous. And, you know, really, um, I was lucky enough to be towards the end of his career. And, you know, he really, I think, shared a lot more with me than maybe he would have taken the time to do with others throughout his career when obviously he was still going very strong. And, I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, learn towards the end of end of the the era, and um, you know, capitalize on some great relationships I had. You know, he let me create with the owners and and whatnot. So, um, no, I was very fortunate to work for him. He, um, yeah, he he was a big character, that's for sure. And he was so sharp, like you said, success with both flat and jumps races as well. But he was so sharp with choosing horses and and deciding where they belong and I'm sure that those were some lessons that were imparted as well and we're seeing you do that now with both flat and jump races as well what were some of those lessons like yeah for sure I mean I what I learned from him was like you know you kind of always have to there's more than meets the eye even um you know, he used to bring horses in and be like, you know, this horse will be a jumper. And I used to think to myself, why? Like, why do you think this horse would be a jumper? And, you know, he always, he, don't question him, he'd prove you wrong time and time again. <laughs> uh, same with the flat horses even, you know, and obviously the, the normal confirmation, this and that, but he always seemed to just look that bit farther into a horse, you know, maybe overlook something that most people would be turned off to because he liked something else about them and you know he really helped me look at horses with more of an open mind and um, kind of see the type of horses that could make very good jumpers that are just mediocre on the flat which I think is a huge you know selling point to owners maybe wanting to get involved because like Iranistan who's a multiple stakes winner was nothing more than a maiden claimer on the flat Um, and I've gotten a few horses in my stable now this year that you know have won one is one a stake and one races that didn't do more than break their maiden or haven't even broken their maiden on the flat. So it's a very interesting angle. Um, he was very good at it. I've been fortunate enough to kind of pick that up from him, I think. Bringing us back to the mean queen, she came over from her native Ireland, but you know, as you said, you've had some horses that started out in America in flat races and transitioning over to the jumps. Yeah. What are some of the things that you look for when, when choosing a horse that you think could be suited to go, you know, over two miles over jumps? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the biggest thing you, you love to see horses running long, right? Mm-hmm. Turf or dirt. I'm not a big stickler. I don't really mind. I mean, I have, you know, horses that have won on the dirt that are jumping and vice versa, you know, and, and turf horses and this, but you obviously like to see them get the trip um, on the flat. Obviously, ideally, if it's a horse that seems to be always running late and, you know, kind of the wire just is always a little bit too close. They need it to be moved another half a mile. Those types <laughs> are great. Um, but you really, you're just looking for a sound enough animal, you know, that, um, that seems athletic enough. I mean, the big misconception is that they want them to be huge horses. Like I don't actually like a big horse. I like mm-hmm. them to be not tiny, but you know, athletic, small enough and athletic, nimble. Um, 
But the other misconception is how long it takes horses to jump. I mean, Jordan Wyckoff and I got a horse off the flat um, and I had him for three weeks and he won first time out as a three-year-old and beat um, a bunch of older horses and came back three weeks later and won a stake. Um, you know, a good horse that takes to it takes some two to three weeks to be ready to run, um, which is a big misconception. People think it takes a really long time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It, it's a fun, different dynamic. And I'm hoping that I have gotten a couple flat owners that have sent me horses through the winter now that mm-hmm. are going to be running over jumps in the spring. So, you know, fingers crossed, we can have a bit of luck with some of them. Yeah, I know that you've been able to build a relationship with the Wyckoffs. And, um, you know, we saw a lot of news about Cross Border, who's a very successful yeah. New York bred and um, great at stakes winner on the turf in New York and him kind of switching and doing that cross training. And it, it was really exciting to see how a horse that was so hickory throughout um, all the years that he ran in New York, really, to yeah. have kind of that second chance. Yeah. And like crosses in the barn, he's getting a nice little vacation now and he'll be back in the spring as well. And like, obviously with the goal, you know, we'd love to run him in Saratoga over jumps mm-hmm. um, and, and horses like that. I mean, it's, it is, it's fabulous to see them kind of get a new lease on life. Um, the jumping really picks their heads up, gives them something else to do. Um, and, you know, they can still do both. Uh, there's going to be plenty of horses you see this year if all goes to plan that run over jumps and also run on the flat for me. So Jonathan was quite good at that. He, he could do both with them. And, and I'd like to do that, you know, gives kind of sometimes will improve the horses even, you know, just give them, like I said, a new lease on life a little bit um, rather than just going around in a oval every single day, you know, they hack out back at fair Hill, gallop the Hills. Um, I still take them on the track. They still work like flat horses. I don't train my jumpers too much differently than I train my flat horses. I'm just lucky enough to train at Fairhill Training Center. And, you know, we have all the hills and good gallops out back on the grass that we get to utilize. Do you think that kind of cross training really helps them mentally too? I'm always fascinated by that thought process and giving horses just something a little bit different to do too, and kind of keeping them sharp, whether it's switching from uh, jumps to flat, or like you said, training at a place like Fairhill. For sure. I like, to be honest, the, the New York bred sprinter that I won with um, at Aqueduct this uh, fall, Haymack, it's Jack. He, between Saratoga, which I think he was like third or fourth, and his win at Aqueduct, he never saw the racetrack. I mean, I just kept him out back, canter a couple hills, jog around, you know, keep him sharp, keep him fresh. And he just loved, he really, really blossomed at Fair Hill. So, you know, all kinds, I think it, it helps every single kind of horse. I mean, once they're fit, you know, why do they need to pound the track every single day? You know what I mean? I think it's really great for them to, you know, be able to go out back and just see different things and just keep their minds right. With a horse like Haymack, it's Jack. He was one that came to you when he was young and a New York bred and running in those kinds of races. Talk a little bit about kind of breaking into that and, and starting off with some younger horses and on a very tough circuit as well. Yeah, I mean, I I said to myself very early on after working for Jonathan, knowing, you know, I did not want to go up to places like New York and run without a shot. You know, Mm -hmm. people don't recognize you. You're just running as an also brand. So um, I was lucky enough to get Hey Mac, It's Jack. I have a couple nice two-year-olds in my barn sent to me from Karen Woods. Um, You know, these horses were sent to me and I had a two-year-old just run second in the Central Park, and he was actually second mm-hmm. in AWOD as well this year up there. And, you know, I think 
that has helped me too. I've had owners call me to send me horses now after seeing that. I think it's really important. Haymack was so great because he was a sprinter. So everyone thinks she has to go, they have to be running like a mile and a half for her to be able to teach them. It's not totally true. And obviously it's always good to have a good two-year-old. I mean, that always, I just think speaks volumes. It, it helps get your name out there. So have great. I had a couple. So, oh, I mean, it's about the stock, right? Now to get a couple more horses that can take me, you know, to that stage. And like, I have a nice string of five at Palm Meadows that I hope can, you know, give me, a run down a golf stream and a couple winners and you know that will hopefully grow the flat side of the stable if I can you know get get those winners and get my name out there a bit more are you planning should all go well throughout the winter to be active at the two-year-old sales and kind of regrouping and, and coming up with a stronger string next next year to New York as well yeah I think so I mean it's a little bit um it's a little bit hit or miss right now as mm-hmm. far as if I'm going to get stalls in the spring in New York but it is looking that way um, you know, as I said, with the wide cost support, that's been huge. And I have a couple of flat owners too, who, you know, are, are interested in getting more two-year-olds and doing all of that. So, um, I'd like to be active at the sales. Like I said, I've had owners, you know, get in touch with me. So you never know till it really happens, but I'm hoping, you know, to capitalize on those phone calls and, you know, hopefully anyone listening now, <laughs> give me a call. Um, but no, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough game. It is. And yeah. it's hard to noticed so any little bit helps I think one of the things uh, to your credit that you've really done quite well is you're young you're a woman you are well-spoken obviously super talented you've brought a lot of exposure and excitement to steeplechase as well and it seems like there's been a little bit of crossover with people kind of following what you do and taking notice of horses like the mean queen um, that are in your barn and and following that and I thought what you said this year at the Eclipse Awards was really poignant as well, that you do even throughout the past few years have a lot of people that would abstain from voting in that category at the Eclipse Awards. And I think we've really seen it kind of be elevated a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that that is that that is the case. And obviously, I mean, as much as I'd love to take credit for trying to get it out there, which I have, you know, I have been, but like a mayor, like the mean queen and the rivalry of the mean queen and snap decision, Mm -hmm. you know, that was something our sport as a whole can really capitalize on. Um, You know, that's, that's huge. And hopefully we can see it again next season. Um, But it was so good for the game. And, and I just, um, you know, really tried to build off of that. And I think it has, you know, she has a huge following. I mean, everybody loves the mean queen. You wouldn't love her if you had to do her every day, but, (laughs) Um, but yeah, like it's, it's great. And I, you know, I'm very active on social media and I, I do strongly feel, you know, sometimes social media can be bad, but at all in all, it's the way forward. I mean, I've gotten some of my biggest owners, um, off of social media, believe it or not. Uh, like I literally met them on Twitter and I have probably 15 horses in the barn for them now. <laughs> wow. Atlantic friends and Paul Willis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was a phone call, literally a Twitter, a Twitter direct message, a phone call. And then, um, Paul Willis along with Steve Cox and Jimmy Sheridan and a bunch of my other, um, owners involved with the Atlantic friends racing, like all came literally from Twitter. So that was massive. Um, so I'm, and I have a couple Irish owners too that, you know, followed me on Twitter and got in touch. So I 
think at least for me, social media has been massive too, you know, just in helping get owners. And as you said, grow the sport too, the interest in the sport. Yeah. I mean, I slid into your DMs to set up this interview. So yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I completely uh, agree with that. It's a very useful yeah. tool. Um, uh, but yeah. you, you mentioned an involvement in Europe too. And, and like I said, for instance, the mean queen came over from Ireland. I know that you've had success with kind of making your name known and your stable known over in Europe as well. And, um, being successful there as an American trainer, but also finding horses in Europe that could be suited to the races here. Can you talk a little bit about that crossover? Yeah. Like, so I have a very different approach to buying horses overseas than most people, but that like most, um, steeplechase people, but that's just because I'm lucky enough to still be young and spry enough to ride (laughs) so I ride like I still gallop in the mornings not as much as I once did obviously as I have a lot of horses now that I need to be watching train too but um I I ride so I go over and I go to certain stables um that literally what they do is make up young horses and sell them so same the same stables that you know the big trainers over there are buying out of rather than trying to buy horses that have done whatever in Europe and then come here because normally those guys aren't selling unless they think they've gotten everything they can out of Mm -hmm. them. So I try to buy them young. The Mean Queen, Baltimore Bucko, French Light, all of them came from the same place. Um, I sit on them myself. I ride them myself multiple days. I see them do, you know, I see them jump. I, you know, see them work and all of that. And it's, it's been a really good system myself and James Doyle, who I buy them off of, um, you know, we kind of know what works and it's, it's turned into quite a good business getting some really nice horses over here um so that's how I pick them out and, and buy them over there it's um I mean like I said it's produced the mean queen Baltimore bucko of French light asylum player a lot of really nice horses that have been on the big stage here you know and not and not too um short of time either you know they all did that within two years of coming here so yeah very good with your experience as a former rider and and jockey does that change how you approach looking at a horse? And does it also change maybe how you're approaching looking at a race? Because you've been in that position, you know, what the jockey would be thinking, especially maybe for a horse like the mean queen, who we know can be a little bit quirky. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like having it on my resume and having the experience of just riding races, it it Mm. certainly helps. I mean, just to know, what it's like, you know, I've ridden almost, I've ridden a lot of the racetracks we have in America over jumps. So it's always nice to kind of have that when I'm talking to Parker or whatever, Mm -hmm. riding my horses about a game plan or whatever, you kind of know what tracks are, you know, you're better off on the front end or coming from behind and, you know, all of that. It just, I'm probably a little bit more understanding as well. (laughs) Just once being a jockey, I mean, you know, you know that it's racing and things just do happen sometimes. So, but no, I think it definitely helps in all aspects and and definitely just the fact that I can sit on horses before buying them, you know, look, doesn't necessarily mean I love every horse I buy to sit on, but I try Mm -hmm. to kind of look past if not so much if they're my type or not to ride, but just, you know, how they feel under you and that type of thing more than, you know, sometimes they have quirkiness. I mean, I never really ride the mean queen. She doesn't like me, (laughs) but but that's okay. She doesn't have to. So Uh, she doesn't like girls she likes boys and that's it so she's a weirdo yeah she is a true diva huh she is something yep (laughs) 
<laughs> Anybody that's ever been around horses knows that every day is a new challenge. Every day comes yeah. with another problem. If you yes. get a call in the middle of the night, it's like your worst nightmare. Uh, what what have been some of the biggest learning curves for you as a trainer? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, like I have grown so quick, you know, um, mm -hmm. I'm so I've gotten so big so fast. And you know, the size of the stable is fine because I mean, I, at one time looked after a hundred, 150 horses with Jonathan, but it's a lot different when it's all your own. It's your money. It's, you know, you're paying a salaries, you're doing all of that. It's definitely, uh, to be honest, I find the people side of things is a lot more difficult than mm -hmm. actually the horses. I mean, look, it's never, these are your bad phone calls to make to owners and, and whatnot. Now, you know, you don't get to pawn it off on Jonathan. If something goes wrong, <laughs> I have to make the calls. Um, I'm fortunate to have very, very good owners, which I think starting off is always a very hard thing. And I've been very lucky to get a big group of just really good owners. They're good people but more than anything. Um, I know some people aren't that lucky, so I'm very lucky there, but yeah, just, you know, probably the clerical side of things more than anything is the <laughs> hardest part. Really. I, I think, you know, the horses are, are the easy part, but I don't think it ever gets easy, you know, injuries and whatnot. I mean, obviously the mean queen was sidelined with an injury mm -hmm. this year that she briefly had one run and, and then wasn't quite a hundred percent after the run. So we just gave her the rest of the year, but you know, that those losing the stable star, you know, that's never, never easy. Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever gets easy. So um, you know, it's just how we bounce back from things like that. And it's all about those relationships. And, uh, you know, as you're, you're embarking on this new chapter in the winter and having horses at Palmetto's, and you mentioned wanting to be successful with flat and jump racing, what are some of the big goals that you have for yourself and for your stable? Yeah. Um, well, I would love short term, like I would love to win a race at Gulfstream. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the premier meets, especially in the winter time. Um, last year I really wanted to win a race in New York, which I did. Um, but I think the next thing really on the flat, like I'm chasing a stakes winner. I, I they thought my two-year-old was going to do it, um, <laughs> the other day, but he just didn't get the greatest trip in the world, but that's racing. Um, yeah, I think the next thing is a stakes winner on the flat, but really my flat goals, I just really want to build a stable up new, more flat horses. Um, you know, I, I have all the jumpers I want and need. I have a great barn full of jumpers, but, um, you know, I really want to just get more flat horses, more good, you know, good flat horses mm -hmm. that can put my name out there. So that's the plan. And as far as really being an ambassador for steeplechase, what are some of the things that you hope for that sport that can continue to grow and continue to get more press around it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think one of the biggest things is just continuing, as you kind of said, continuing to be an ambassador and, and make people aware a lot, you know, until I started really speaking out about certain things like, you know, a flat horse gets all their conditions back over jumps. Mm -hmm. you know, I have an owner in my bar now that I met in Saratoga, um, and he sent me one of his horse, his horse. And I said, you know, he's a maiden. And he, no, he's not. I said over jumps, he's a maiden. And he just yeah. did not realize that you get all your conditions back. I mean, these good horses, you give a good horse on the flat. I mean, he, he literally becomes a maiden again. So you have all your conditions, you know, just with some obstacles in the way. So um, <laughs> it's things like that, that I think just need to be really, 
you know, shouted from the rooftops and, and made known because that what I really, really want is to get more flat owners, like, you know, prominent flat owners. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the biggest owners in the game, but just people that have a flat table. I really want to get them involved in jump racing, whether that be, you know, they want to have a dual purpose horse running over jumps and on the flat, or they want to send a flat horse jumping um, rather than just selling them into our game it's really important that we get some new owners in the game to keep growing the sport. I had the opportunity to cover the race meet at, at Far Hills this year, which was one of the most fun days of racing yeah. I've been involved <laughs> in just like anywhere. Yeah. yeah it, it was awesome. And it, it feels like there's such a good environment. So, so much fun um, surrounding steeplechase racing. Oh, it's great. And, you know, I think, really we kind of do ourselves a disservice um not promoting what those big days are like i mean i couldn't talk enough about nashville i mean we have a big kind of what would be our kentucky derby sort of day you know at nashville in the spring and it's just i mean the meat is electric and we go downtown afterwards and it's just you know it's a fabulous time and and all the race meetings they've really stepped up their game they're great days just you know great days out you can really enjoy yourself so that's another thing you know like every meet is kind of so special it's like you're at a big day of flat racing you know um and i think a lot of owners really enjoy coming racing um even maybe more than they enjoy going to the flat races so it's a it's a, it's a big party really <laughs> at a lot of meets so um, it, it's good fun. And, you know, they do all the meets do a really good job of putting on a great day. So that's another thing too. You know, it's just, it's very nice for owners. And I don't think we, um, I don't think we do a good enough job actually promoting that. Like you said, Far Hills is a fabulous day. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing um, many more big days, and I'm sure that you will be in the spotlight for many of them. I know you're so busy. Carrie, thank you so much um, for taking the time. It was really, really fun to have you on. It was, thank you so much. It was great being on, and thank you for having me. Trainer Carrie Bryan, who certainly has been making a name for herself throughout the past couple of years, both in steeplechase racing and flat racing as well. Big thanks to her for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you to all of you for listening. As always, any requests, any things of interest, let me know. Um, check out all the other content that is going on over at inthemoneymedia.com. Um, it's kind of crazy to think that we are wrapping up the year of racing and just the year in general, not just in racing, but in life. <laughs> 2022 coming to a close, which is wild to think. Um, I wrapped up my season in New York and heading to Florida for the winter. So looking forward to that, the nice weather for sure, but uh, we'll miss my great team in New York for the next couple of months. But uh, it's that time of year where there's a lot of changes going on and we'll get set now for the next chapter, which is some of the bigger tracks down in the South um, in the winter racing and hope to bring some insight on a lot of the other goings on uh, around the country and particularly um, when a lot of people head south for the winter, myself included, going to Florida. So as always, thanks so much for joining me on In The Ring. Thanks to uh, the Maryland Horse Breeders Association for the support of this show. And please feel free to share this episode. Anything, anyone that you think might enjoy it would always be much appreciated. I'll see you next time on In The Ring with Acacia Kamal. Thank you.